What up, everyone? You're listening to Riding Big Red with Leah and Max. Check us out each week to hear about life at the fire station, gripping perspectives, and the untold stories of a firefighter. We hope you enjoy the ride. Episode 85, That's Not Oil on the Asphalt, with guest firefighter Bill. What's up, everybody? Thank you for joining us for another episode of Riding Big Red. Today, we have a special guest, Bill. Me? We have oh, it's some- not me. No, not you. I thought I was we special. We have you every week. I know, but I thought I was special. You're not. But we have a special guest, and this special guest is almost somewhat of a celebrity, I would say. Eh, maybe. Bill, <laughs> yes. Thank you for joining us today. Hey, it's my pleasure to be here. I say celebrity because we got to hear this before we get into all the firefighter stuff. If it's okay, I want to touch on something special you were a part of. You want to tell us what that was? Sure. Before I joined the uh, fire department, I was a professional baseball player for about 13, 14 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, I played with the Oakland A's and the San Francisco Giants and was very fortunate enough to play in the 1989 World Series. And I, uh, even though injuries set me back, I had a couple of highlights in during my career I hit a pinch hit three run homer in game three of the World Series in 89 incredible and I also hit a home run in my first at bat in Yankee Stadium off Ron Guidry which was another thrill wow that's amazing yeah that's okay (laughs) (laughs) no that's good Bill and then you became a firefighter so tell us about that how did we go from baseball to being a firefighter so there's no pun intended here but during the earthquake of the 89 series I volunteered to help out and I went out and was helping people and it lit a fire under me that's where the pun comes mm-hmm. in <laughs> and um, and so I started thinking about you know what my life meant and what I wanted to do and I really enjoyed helping people yeah I then went on and played two years in Japan and went through a divorce and I figured that was a perfect time to reinvent my life and you know my dad was in public safety he was LA County Sheriff for 33 years so I've been around public safety and I really wanted to help people, so the fire department was very attractive to me, and I was fortunate to get on my first attempt. I love that. That's yeah. amazing. What year did you actually get on the department? So that was 1980, uh, oh, I'm sorry, 94, 94 one. 94? Wow. Yeah. And how long were you on the fire department for? 26 years. 26 years. That's incredible. That, that's really good, yeah. And did you, were you engineer, firefighter, paramedic? Did you? So I, I promoted really quickly. I, after two years as a firefighter, I promoted a paramedic. Okay. And then at five and a half years, I promoted a captain. So, oh, wow. So I was a 20 year captain on the job. I was also provisionally made as a battalion chief for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And so. did you guys work together? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah we did several times. Together. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. You I loved your dad. Max was, <laughs> he was awesome. And he was, he was a good mentor and yeah. a good captain. And I definitely worked at his station before I promoted. So that's great. So I like to ask our guests every time that they come on, if there was something that you were known for in the station, did you have a nickname? <laughs> was there something that, you know, kind of was you was like your thing. So my nickname in baseball was Basher. Basher. So once people <laughs> people found that out, then it uh-huh. spread. Of course, on the fire department, you can't say anything without spreading. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. So everywhere I went was <laughs> yeah. a basher. And then, of course, uh, one of the captains there, uh, because he was jealous that he never made it in baseball, he used to call me one-hit wonder. And so everywhere <laughs> I went, he'd say one-hit wonder. And I'd tell him, don't be a hater just because you didn't make it. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Was your experience, because you said you had kind of been around, like public safety wanted to help people. Was your experience being on the fire department, 
what you expected it to be or was it completely different? Were you kind of shocked by all the things you got involved with? It's kind of a little of both, you know. Yeah. What attracted me to the fire department was one, being able to help people mm-hmm. and two was the team dynamic. Yeah. Uh, so when I left baseball, I wanted something that was like a team atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about baseball in the fire department, baseball was team dynamic, but it was entertainment. Mm-hmm. Fire department was team dynamic, but it's life and death. Yeah. And so it was a same principle, but a different stage. And then when I got on the department, I found out how much I really loved it. Yeah. And it actually, you know, was better than what I thought it was going to be. And then, of course, the types of calls you go on. I was. I don't think anybody's ever prepared for what they're going to see, mm-hmm. and being on the department too, you just you don't know what you're going to run into. So. Yeah, for sure. Did you get the chance to have? Because I know when we talk about this all the time is how lucky my dad was to have such an incredible station family. And and Bill that, was Bill was a part of that several times. He was with us. Yeah, at the station. I mean it's 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 amazing the stations that do have that. And I know that doesn't happen everywhere, and that's not the case for everybody, but. Did you get to experience that, like a really close, tight-knit crew that you got to work with? Absolutely. And and the more that I was on the department, the more I realized that no matter what you go through, it's who you're working with mm-hmm. uh, that makes a big difference. And when yeah. you have leaders at a station that create a family atmosphere, then you guys are going to perform better and you're going to handle the situation better. So yeah, I did get to experience that and I loved it. Oh, that's great. And actually, that leads me into the next part that I wanted to talk to you about, because, you know, I know that with all the stuff that you guys get involved with, with all the stories that I've heard from my dad and now several of our guests, you know, there is some pretty, it's not just physically taxing, you know, that career, but it's mentally taxing. There's a lot emotionally that comes along with it. Do you think that the fire department affected you emotionally at all or changed you in that way or made you perceive life differently? I definitely perceive life differently because I went through a lot when I was on the fire department and um, I went through my second divorce when I was on the fire Mm -hmm. department and I I just got promoted to captain and I was working the south side, you know, running 18 calls a shift, not getting any sleep and then running the types of calls we had, it had a profound effect on me and I had to seek out counseling Mm -hmm. and, you know, you just realize that as you go on in your career, that you handle emergencies as a professional. You know, you mm-hmm. learn to not internalize it as much, and you learn that you're the you're the paid professional that shows up to handle the situation. But we're also human, yeah. And that may show up later down the road. Has it for me? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and there's been situations where, you know, I had a, a five year old girl pass away in my arms. You know, from a from a trauma on the south side. And I remember, as I was riding with her in the back of the ambulance, and I remember. I thank God. I said, thank you for letting me be the one to be there with her and comfort mm-hmm. her as she as she passed away. Yeah. yeah. You know, those never never leave you. And they do change you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so between the lack of sleep and the, you know, the emotional side and mental side of it, um, it's a grind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it really takes, it really takes a family in the station. It mm-hmm. really takes all the guys that you work with, the men and women, to get you through some, some of this stuff. And you lean on them. Mm-hmm. You know, you really do. Yeah. And since you both were captains, actually, I'm curious to hear from both of you kind of how you feel about this, that when you have the new guys come in or gals come in on the fire department, what is it that you're telling them or helping them prepare for those moments? Is there something that you say or can do or is there something that you were trying to give them your experience? 
So every captain has their different leadership style. For me, my goal as a, as a captain was it was my responsibility to make sure they were successful. Yeah. And so I would try to help them in that regard and try to share stories or share certain events that would help them think a little bit deeper about what they're going to be saying and how to react. Mm -hmm. And so in that first year, that first year is very important to a new firefighter. I Mm -hmm. mean, um, I always felt that it was my responsibility to work with them and make sure that they learn what they're supposed to learn. And so, yeah, you draw on your past experiences and what you know and your knowledge and you pass it along. Yeah, and and it's that and you, you... For me, it was making sure that the new person mm-hmm. leans on the, the people in the station, the other crew members, the people they work with. Make sure you you follow what they do and let's learn from them because they've been here. They've gone through it. They'll help you every step of the way. Mm-hmm. And I know you kind of had your saying that you would tell everybody <laughs> about uh, you're not going to save everybody. You didn't right. cause it. Yeah, you didn't cause it. Um, do the best you can and you're not going to save everybody. That's mm-hmm. the three things. Well, if you learn those, you'll you'll... You'll do better. What's funny is that, um, you know, we use a lot of humor to deal with stuff. Well, Mm -hmm. my first day on the job at 7, I was there five minutes, and we had a code of rest across the street. We ran over there, and, of course, they said, get down their boots, start doing compressions. And, of course, I could hear her ribs cracking. And and, uh, when we were done, we couldn't save her. And we came back to the station about three of them ago. They started calling me Dr. Kevorkian. (laughs) So you killed her. Yeah. But that's fire department. Yeah, and we talk about that. We Mm -hmm. talk about, you know, if if the public were in the station listening to us talk after calls, they would be totally disgusted but it's yeah. not as you know, Leah has pointed out it's not personal it but it's how we deal it's not the person that you're making fun of it's this and it's not even making fun of it's the situation and I actually did a lot of reading because our I think our second episode that we ever did was called death humor and hot tubs and that entire episode a huge portion of it was talking about how humor can be used as a coping mechanism for a lot of people you know you have something really tragic and it's the brain's way of trying to normalize a very not normal situation. And it's really like a safety thing, like almost a way to kind of protect yourself. And so I feel like in some ways it's a release for firefighters that you kind of have to, and not every call is going to be funny. There's going to be the ones that are somber and sad and you don't joke and there's nothing funny about them, but there are the ones you kind of have to make light of them just for your own sanity. We we have to have a mechanism to deal with it. And there was an old saying that the general public sees that 10% of what happens in the world very rarely. Mm-hmm. Whereas fire department, we see that 10%, 100% of the time. Oh, that's very, yeah, that's true. So we're, yeah. we're doing it every other shift mm-hmm. and we're seeing the, the gruesome and the bad and the, and the good, the ugly, whatever you want to call it. Whereas the general public, maybe once in a blue moon, they might see something. Yeah. So that's our mechanism to deal with it is that dark humor. Yeah. yeah. And the, the other thing that we wanted out of this podcast was people's perception of the, of the fire department is what they get on TV. Yes. And we both know that that's so accurate. <laughs> you know? You're making me laugh, Max. I love it. Yes. It's so accurate. And, and you sit and you shake your head and it's like, really? They don't have a professional helping Chicago them? Chicago Fire was real. Oh, yeah. Just like that. <laughs> they run in with no masks, no, no gear. Yeah, in there. Great. yeah I mean, it would be a boring show, fire show, if they went into a real building and it was all you see was nothing because that's what you see in a fire. And mm-hmm. So they can't really do that. But. You know, that's what this is about is the reality of it and what we see and what we do, what we get our hands on. And the reason we started also having guests was because everybody has that story. They've been through something, they've seen something. And 
hearing the different perspectives I, I find very fascinating. And I think it's important for the public to hear that because it humanizes you guys. You guys are humans and yeah. you see things and witness things that the average person does not. Bill's so, not. He's superhuman. Yeah. Ah, negative. <laughs> Just ask my wife. She'll tell you I'm not. <laughs> on that note, yeah. if there is a call that you'd like to take us on today, you know, we would we would love to hear a story from you, something that was memorable or something that kind of sticks out in your mind. I have a whole bunch of them, but I think I'll Yeah, tell, we all do. <laughs> yes, and I mean they're they're sad. They're they're things that happen like on Christmas Eve or something like that. But one story that really sticks out with me is I was on uh, Medic 4 on the west side of town. And it was about, I think, 1 o'clock in the morning. And that's back in the day when the Diamondbacks still had spring training. And I went to a rollover. And uh, my partner was driving. I was in the, uh, you know, working the radio. And as we're pulling up, we could see the overturned vehicle. And I see this long oil strip, probably 12 inches wide. For, it looked like a perfect square line of oil for about, I'd say, 100 feet. And I told my partner, I said, don't drive through that. Drive around it. Let's approach from the other side. And he went around it. And we started walking up. And I could hear the one, one of the guys screaming inside the truck. Or it was like an SUV that was turned over. And as I'm walking up, I, I found like a can of chew. And, a, and I looked in the car as I'm approaching. I see some baseball bats. And I'm like, oh, boy. And this thing's on, a, on its side. Mm-hmm. And so he's screaming. The guy on top is screaming for his partner who's underneath him. And um, and he's not responding. So we, we bust out the window. We, we get him out of there. And he immediately is pacing around the scene. And you could tell, okay, he's not injured because he looks fine. He's walking. And he's still screaming. He's, well, how's my friend? How's my friend? You know. And when we got in there, this is one of the most macabre things I've ever seen in my life. And um, and since this is a show that can handle that, we'll we'll talk mm-hmm. about it. So we go to extricate this guy out as we pull him out. I could still see his face, but when we pulled him out, his face started flapping like a paper bag. That oil strip was not oil; that was his brain matter. Oh goodness! So what had happened is when they flipped on the side, the window was partially down, and his head mm-hmm. got jammed, and you could not have surgically removed all of the cranial vault that fine. But it left his skin and his eyes open, and it looked like a Halloween mask or something. Yeah. Because you could still see where the eyes were. You could see where the mouth was, and it was just flapping like a bag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, the rest of the body, of course, you know, he's screaming for him. We had to tell him, no, that's not him. That day he's not alive. Uh, but that I, I could never, ever get out of my head because it was the most macabre thing I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And I found out later that the guy that passed away, he was a Christian guy and he had, uh, and this is one of the reasons it sticks with me, his friend on the D backs. And these were both pitchers and both of them were probably going to make the team. And, um, his friend just talked to him to go out for a beer that night and they were returning and he didn't negotiate the curve very well. That's why he flipped it. But that guy's family was driving at that time from Florida up, to be there in spring training with him. No. To watch his wife play. and his kids, to see him play, not knowing that he's passed away. Oh. And I remember talking to the D-backs because I knew a lot of the guys on the team. And and it just was a unbelievably sad situation, and it's something I will never forget. Yeah, and it also was 
in some ways kind of personal to you having had played baseball well, and you had well, that connection. What are the odds? I've been to two rollovers where both of them were professional ball players. Now, is that by chance? I don't know. That's Yeah, that's weird. What are the odds of that? Yeah. Yeah, and you don't expect, I mean, again, it kind of goes back to what you were talking about earlier. Like, there isn't anything in training or before you get on the fire department that can prepare you for a moment like that. Right. There's nothing that can describe to you the smell, the sound, the screams, the stuff on the road that can prepare you for a moment like that. So when you get there, you have, I'm sure, seconds of shock, and then you're there to do a job. And that's trying to transition from like being a human and seeing something really, you know, shocking like that. And then also being a firefighter and having to do a job. Yeah, there's also be- that realization and you and I have both done it, but that moment where you get in there to help that person and you realize there's nothing I can do. Right. Yeah. Like there's nothing here. There's the, the, I can't do anything. And so you have to tell everybody that you're with all your other, you know, uh, firefighters that, Hey, we're stop. We're done. There's nothing yeah. we can do. And then you have to deal with somebody who's went through it with them and tell them, hey, there's. And at that point, you're you're treating the family. You're not mm-hmm. treating yeah. that person anymore. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure it was probably extremely difficult for the person who got out of the vehicle once he realized that he was gone. Yeah, because actually they uh, TPD showed up and filmed them because they were going to try to nail him for a DUI. And uh, I got called into court on this case. And uh, because I documented so well and. TPD's video actually went against them because oh. to the to the jury to everybody else it proved that he they didn't feel he was drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my report, I had put down that he had negative ataxia. He answered questions appropriately and, and swiftly. You know, appeared fine. Blah blah blah. Vitals were within normal limits. I mean, everything looked good. Mm-hmm. And then with that, with the video, and he he got let off. But to me. The yeah. bigger punishment was he left his friend, and he had to, he has to live with that the rest of his life. Like I guess say he he got punished. Yeah, he, he'll he'll you're right. He'll live with that for the rest of his life. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. I know those calls are sometimes difficult to kind of rehash or relive, but I I think it does speak to again all the different levels of calls you guys get involved with. Do you have time? Can I tell one more? Of course. Time? Well. The other one that sticks with me and will for the rest of my life is, uh, it happened on Christmas Eve, and it was, uh, family was coming up for Christmas, and he was a hard worker, you know, he was a blue-collar worker and uh, driving, and he got tired, and he kind of veered off the edge of the freeway, and there just happened to be another car there that was parked, and bashed into it while they had their two-year-old in a car seat up front. Yep. And so when we showed up, the kid was pinned under the dash with a blown pupil, and uh, we immediately had to get in there and innovate this child and call for a helicopter. And, and it wasn't good. It wasn't looking good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just remember thinking that this kid has gifts under a tree. Yeah. And and I followed up to the hospital and they had already called it, you know, the <sighs> baby. But I happened to walk in right when they told the parents that their child didn't make it. And I'll never forget that scream I heard that is only comes from a, mm-hmm. somebody that is so hurt. And uh, that scream I will never forget. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those are the things I know for me, the hardest things was on yeah. calls. Like when you're in somebody's house and you're working somebody and you have to call them at that moment. Yeah. And the emotions and, and as a captain, you're not necessarily involved at that patient because you have your, your crew is doing all the work and you're dealing with the family. 
And so now you're the one that has to deliver the news and you're the one that has to play comfort and you're the one that has to do that part of it. I I can't even imagine, I can't even imagine having to deliver that news because part of you was like, I don't want to do that, but somebody has to do it. And well, in our minds, and, and Bill will test, in our minds, we're there to save people. And, mm-hmm. and that's what we do. We save people. And when you don't, it, it's harder, and mm-hmm. especially when it's kids. And, yeah. and Bill knows, and every firefighter we ever talk to will tell you the kids are the hardest calls you go on. Yeah. I had too many of those. Mm-hmm. Yes. One is too many, yeah, but yes, many. we've been on many of those. Yeah, I I can't I cannot imagine. Those would be extremely difficult. And I'm sure they don't get easier. You just... No. Learn how to cope with them the best that you can. Those are the ones you go back to the station and it's a little more somber and you sit around staring at each other and, and you just pat each other on the back and said, yeah, we did the best we could. And there's, there's, we didn't do it. We didn't cause it. We did the best we could. Mm-hmm. One thing you learn on the fire department, especially when you work a long time, is that emergencies are going to happen. Mm-hmm. Death's going to happen. We're going to save people. That's just part of the game. And it does happen, and, and, you know, we've learned to deal with it as you get further into the department. Anyways, you learn how to deal with it better. Yeah. Did you have, did your station have anything that you guys would do after maybe a tough call like that? Was there something you guys did to kind of, I don't know, relieve the yeah, tension so, or pressure? So in my district, you know, I was what's called an executive captain. I worked alongside the chief, and we helped manage the district. But if any of our crews went on something like that, one of the first things I would do is call them and say, hey, I'm going to swing by the station. And then uh, I'd put them out of service and we'd just sit down and talk for a little bit. Oh, that's and, great. And then I would try to gauge and look at them and see how they're doing. If mm-hmm. I felt they weren't doing well, then we'd do, then we'd figure something else out. But Yeah. I think that's great because you should have that level of like support behind you yeah. on a tough call like yeah. that. And, you know, we talked about there was a really tough call that we went on. Was it last season? I think it was last season or the season before that. And two of my dad's firefighters that he got to work with told us about this really heinous call that they went on and involved a child. And it was horrific, very tragic call. But afterwards, they had to go to an elementary school right afterwards. And we had discussed that that shouldn't have happened. They should have had some support there to be like, no, that's got to get canceled. Send somebody else, something else, because having to go from what they went through to then having to put on a smile and go sit with some elementary students, the I can't imagine what that felt like, having to try and stay chipper about your job and they're asking you, you know, what, what have you seen? What's the worst thing you've seen? So... I think it's incredible that you would come in and support your firefighters that And it's way. not easy. Sometimes we need support. I'm, I remember I went on a call uh, downtown where it was a hanging, and I came showing up with the crew, and there was an 18-year-old boy hanging from the garage, and he looked just like my son. Oh, and I remember I broke down and started crying. Oh, and, yeah. I, and I could not handle it because I could hear the mom in the other room crying. I could see him hanging and swinging and. the and the crew rushed right up there to work them. And I, I told my chief, I said, look, I, I, I can't deal with this right now. And um, I went out of service. And I, I'm telling you, I cried for two hours. I almost mm-hmm. went home because it had such a profound effect on me because it looked just like my son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We, and we've, we've been there. I've yeah. been, you know, you don't know what to do at that point. I yeah. mean, you're, you're literally lost. Yep. But I think it's good when you have um, somebody like yourself or my dad know when the moments when you need to have 
like be step out for a second because you're also showing the younger guys that it's okay to have that moment that they don't have to bury it and pretend like it's not happening because that's where you can get yourself into trouble. So I, I think that is also very incredible. Well, we always like to transition these episodes. You know, we go from something very serious. We try to end on a more lighthearted note, uh, <laughs> a funny story, if you will. What uh, if Bill has a funny story? I, yeah, I wonder. I mean, ah. you, you got you to gotta have the balance, right? So you, you don't, not all the calls are horrific or tragic. I mean, some of them are funny. We got station life too, and things happen in the station as well. You got <laughs> yes. something funny for us that you were a part of or... Well, uh, one of the calls I had when I was on Engine 12 was for a uh, smoke detector going off. Um, Those are always fun. You know, rescue nature unknown or (laughs) public assist. Fall injury, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, you just never know what you're going to get. So so we get dispatched to a smoke alarm at a residence on the east side. So we come rolling up and this uh, lady who was dressed very sexy, so to speak, in high heels comes walking Mm -hmm. out and says, we smoke detector keeps going off. We don't know what to do. And. So we all go trouncing in there. And so there's, there's four firemen now. Yeah, four firemen. Mm-hmm. And we come walking into about 15 women that are half drunk and half dressed. And <laughs> and they're all pointing to different smoke detectors and say, we have a ladder right there. Could you go up there and check it, please? Uh-huh. And I just smiled and go, okay, I know what this is. <laughs> entertainment. This is entertainment. They couldn't afford the real entertainment, no. so they hired the real entertainment. Right. And they knew and it number to call. Yeah. They all were circling us. You could tell they were checking us out oh my goodness you know it's like okay crew let's go back we're, we're heading before home. we get in trouble let's before um, we get in trouble <laughs> just one more look and then yeah. we just, head out just one more. Okay. <laughs> oh my how gosh. many phone numbers you guys get I mean, well, no, no, never mind, you, you never can't, mind. i no. can't explain that yeah, i can't i can't divulge that yeah. that's great well we're so grateful to have you and for you coming here to tell us tell your story and you know being vulnerable with us and you know i know those calls are difficult but you know, we, we like hearing from other firefighters of kind of what they've been through, what they've seen. And so we're very grateful to have had yes, you. Yes, Bill, I, I want to thank you. I'm I'm honored that you came in to talk with us. Bill, the times that I worked with him was, you could tell, was going to be a, a an excellent, you know, firefighter and battalion chief and captain through the ranks. And, and he did. He definitely showed that he was. I appreciate that. And you were outstanding as well. I love working at your station. And you know, now that I've been gone for about four years, I have a saying. It's, uh, I don't miss the circus, but I miss the clowns. And I mean that. I miss <laughs> Not saying you're a clown, You think he's calling me a clown, but. but. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I've been called a lot worse. So yeah, I'd take too. that all day. <laughs> me too. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We really My appreciate pleasure. it. My pleasure. Thank you, Bill. Yep. Thanks for joining us this week on Riding Big Red. Be sure to subscribe and follow, and don't forget to tell your friends. Send us your questions or topics that you want to hear about to our Facebook and Instagram page. Want more? Join us next week for a story that will make you laugh out loud.